Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. I so appreciate Pastor Endian letting me come and speak this morning as well. I, I found it just very encouraging, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Endian, they've got blue and gold on. I don't know if that was because of Maranatha colors or not, but I just thought that was so helpful. I was there. Okay, there I see it. There we go. That's great too. That's great. Um, I, I did happen to notice Pastor Sturzbach. What's with the pink? Anyways. <laughs> I've... <laughs> Anyways, that's okay. Of course, I, my music guy back at the church in Illinois, I noticed Pastor Sturzbach. I also had some very special socks. Can I put it that way? Special socks on. You sit on the platform, you get to see all these folks. And it, it was well coordinated with the pink stripe in his tie. I'll commend him for that. Anyways, um, my, my, my assistant pastor, music guy, gave me a pair of uh, six pairs of crazy socks. He likes to call them crazy socks. And I thanked him for it. They actually became a wonderful pair of socks to wear under my boots and kept my feet warm. That was just an appropriate place for those socks to go. So <laughs> joy to be here. Uh, we've looked forward to even being with you folks as the connections through the Wagner family has just been a precious gift to us over many, many years. And I know that some of you, especially senior saints here, remember Don and Lois so well. And they were just a special privilege. God brings people into our life on purpose. You know that. Um, and sometimes that purpose is to help us become more patient and long-suffering. Uh, the reality for mom and dad Wagner is they were a rich blessing in my life. Um, I felt like I was loved beyond what I should be, and I was grateful for that. And uh, what a joy. We're looking forward to seeing them in heaven. It's good to have Don and Lori here still. So as they're living in mom and dad Wagner's home, um, they, they've dressed it up, and I slept in the same room I've slept in for I don't know how many times over all these years. Um, what a wonderful blessing, that tie, that community, that's just a sweet thing in family, and that's a rich blessing. It is a blessing as well, Pastor mentioned already, but we do feel like IBC Seminary is a really sister institution of Maranatha, and we are, I am personally, and we as an institution are really grateful for the work that you're accomplishing through those ministries in particular to continue to affect the West for the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, my heart has been burdened. You've probably, if you've heard Dr. Bud Stedman from Baptist World Mission talk about his burden for the Inner Mountain West. I don't know what the Inner Mountain exactly is, but I know what the West is. All right, there you go. And uh, I, I share that burden. I was born in Denver, uh, grew up uh, really actually in Durango, Colorado. I spent a little bit of time in Texas. And so that's really my heartbeat. I still enjoy putting on a pair of cowboy boots. Uh, if I could do it all the time at Maranatha, I would. They're comfortable to wear in the winter, keep my feet warm. Anyways, uh, but what a joy to see you folks serving the Lord faithfully in this region, reaching souls for Christ. Uh, people are people, and they're lost. And it doesn't matter where they live, they need to be reached for the Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you for your ministry, and we are glad for what the work is doing and accomplishing through IBC and through the seminary as well. Well, in Genesis chapter 18, will you join me there this morning, Genesis chapter 18? And I'm going to, Lord willing, accept, or hopefully you will know most of this story in some, at some reality, because we're going to jump right in the middle of the narrative, um, and I'll try to get your, get your bearing slightly, and then jump in and see what God has for us this morning. The life of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph 
are critical parts to our story as believers in God. Now, obviously, they are the fathers. They are the patriarchs for the nation of Israel. And the covenant that God established with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, is a special gift to the children of Israel. We, we get the gleanings from it. Uh, it was through Abraham's son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, that we have salvation. But there is some particular love that the Jews have for that covenant relationship that they still acknowledge to this day, though they don't understand it fully. And we will one day dovetail with that history when we hit the millennial kingdom. I've, I've had fun telling our church families, you walk through the Old Testament, you get through, you know, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then you hit like Ezekiel, and even some of the prophecies in Daniel. It's like, is this really for us today? Well, it may not have direct impact for today, but one day we're going to be in the millennial kingdom with Israel, with David, with Abraham. And in fact, we will in memorial be offering animal sacrifices at the temple. You might as well get to learn about it now. So, you, you know, yeah, remember when you went to school and you felt, it's like a brand new school. I remember transferring when my dad went to Murnath in 1971. I'm a little kid and I show up. Eventually, we went to the public school first. We'd never heard about Christian schools. I show up at the Christian school in April and you talk about a duck out of water. It's like, you know, I'm this public school kid and uh, I was just glad that I was fairly close in my academic process as they were. Uh, you felt totally like out in left field. Well, if you would study Scripture and study the Old Testament well, at least when you get to the Millennial Kingdom, you won't feel like you're in left field, all right? Or right field, whatever field you feel like, all right? Um, and that's those, those uh, wonderful entities, the nation of Israel and their relationship with our Heavenly Father, the church and its relationship with its head, Jesus Christ, their histories will dovetail in the Millennial Kingdom and for eternity, of course. And we will enjoy some of those blessings. So, what we have, though, for us, you say, well, okay, why do we study the Old Testament for us today? We live in the New Testament age. It's, you know, I'm in the church, and I want to do everything right. I want to honor my head, Jesus Christ. Ah, if we didn't have the Old Testament foundation, we would not know much about our God. And, in particular, about our personal walk with God. Now, what is it about our personal walk with God that has significance? Well, really, at the end of the day, we need to know Him and follow Him, right? Obey Him in our service and ministry. Well, how can I please my God, my Master, my Lord, my Savior, whom I've accepted by faith? How can I please Him if I don't know Him? And this is where the stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph jump off the page for even us New Testament believers. I would challenge you, as you read through the book of Genesis, yes, there's much about the covenant relationship between God and His nation, and don't miss that. But don't miss the revelation of God, who He is, and how He loves to interact with His people. The nation of Israel wasn't really truly started yet. And yet we have these individual patriarchs who, by God's description, walked with God. The story of Jacob actually is probably the overarching story throughout the last half of the book of Genesis. 
And we often with disdain, I think at times, look down on him for all of his faults. I trust that you would stop and consider that you are one like Jacob. That many of his faults and struggles with God are actually the faults and struggles that we deal with on a regular basis in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So here in Genesis 18, uh, Abraham, he's gotten the name Abraham from Abram. God had changed his name. He had made his wonderful covenant with him. We start, we see it back in chapter 12 as he's called out of Ur of the Chaldees, called down from Terran to come down to the land of Canaan. He's left his father who's passed away in Haran. Um, and then we again see a great picture in chapter 15 where God speaks and we see Abraham and God having a conversation. I don't know about you. I, every once in a while, I know that we have prayer and I know that I have God's word that's his full revelation. I have all that I need for life and for godliness <clears throat> right here in God's word. But every once in a while, I don't know about you, it's like, God, I'd just like to talk to you. Can I hear your voice? I've got this problem and can we, can we kind of hash this out? Can we get this figured out? Well, okay, God has given us his word so we can follow and know, glean the principles and the truths, the examples to, to, to put in practice in our life. But Abraham had the unique privilege of literally, voice to voice, <laughs> talking with God. And as God gives him his covenant again, reaffirms that covenant in chapter 15, the precious conversation that goes on there, the promise that your seed will be as the stars of heaven. He said, look up, Abraham, see the stars. You're, all your children one day will be that multiplied. And remember, at that point, he didn't have any children. <laughs> Abraham falters and struggles. With the help of his wife, and Ishmael is born through Hagar. Abraham wants Ishmael to be godly. And in fact, when God comes to him again, and this is the beginning part of chapter 18, he said, oh, that Ishmael would walk with you, God. And God says, no, no, that's not the plan. The plan is for, yes, I'll bless Ishmael, but you're going to have a son through Sarah, your wife. He's the son of promise. What an amazing, patient God, right? Abraham, even though he received the covenant, said that you'll have a son, tried to do it his own way, yet God in his grace and mercy continued to interact. And now we come to the second half of the chapter, and I'm going to begin reading down in verse number 16. I've got the King James with me today, all right? So we'll have a couple of words slightly different from the new King James, but I think you'll be able to follow easily. And in verse 16, verse 16, we have the visitors that had come and again reiterated that Sarah was going to have a son. He had given them a wonderful meal, honored God. He knew that he was actually hosting God. There's some clues in the narrative there, the first part of the chapter, make it abundantly clear. He knew that this was the Lord he was talking with. And so in verse 16, and the men rose up. This is talking about probably a Christophany and the two angels. The men rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. As we know the story, and as we would remember beyond this story, remember they eventually do slay the entire city because of their wickedness, their sodomy. Lot is saved and preserved. We find God coming down to earth because of the wickedness of that, those two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's going to judge them. 
giving them one last opportunity to verify, are they really as bad as their cry is in my ears? And yet Abraham, here he is, right there interacting in this whole process. And so Abraham, being the right host, comes with them. He's going to give them their final farewell. Verse 17, and the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice, righteousness as you see, and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. What an interesting conversation that I presume when he says, he's talking, shall I hide this from Abraham? He's probably talking to the two angels. And we see here in these few verses an analysis of God as he looks at Abraham and his walk with Abraham. And what does God say? I know him. I know that he'll respond to the work of God, my work in his life, that the the child Isaac and his other children and his grandchildren, he will command to follow me. What an amazing, I, I, I wish God would say that of my life. If God were to stop right now and have a conversation with his angels about you, what would he say? Oh, I just wish they would follow. Or would he with joy say, I know him. I know her. They'll follow. You see, folks, our intimate relationship with God is based really on a couple of just simple things. And it's pointed out so clearly in God's analysis of Abraham here. It's based first on his promises. His part in my relationship with him. Now, what, what is God's part in my relationship with him? Well, he's offered us salvation, right? In fact, he's offered it to the whole world. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's his promise. Any, any human can have a direct and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Isn't that a blessing? There will never be a time when a sinner will come to the cross and Jesus will say, sorry, my atonement, my blood just ran out on the last sinner that got saved. That that won't happen. He's promised. You come and I'll redeem. Now what a wonderful God we have. And aren't you glad that our relationship with him starts there? And that our relationship with him continues? New Testament saint... Consider what we have that Abraham didn't have. The moment we trust Christ as our Savior, he moves in. That's a promise from God. He is now, every one of you are an individual temple of the Holy Spirit. Whoa! That's astounding. And it's guaranteed, not because you're good, not because you said the right words to get saved. No, 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 no. That's because he promised. God said it, it's done. And our relationships with God are always based on His promises. But, 
we still have the choice to obey or not to obey, don't we? Isn't that amazing? Isn't God good? Isn't he gracious? That he, he doesn't turn us into robots? Um, I was just speaking with uh, our CEO at Maranatha, Dr. Matt Davis, uh, over lunch the, a couple days ago. Um, the, the great theories that are out among Gen Z now, that they're contemplating that, this, that we all live in a, it's like a computer-generated uh, reality. And it, it's, we laugh because we know God. But this generation today really believes that there's a good possibility that what we really think is reality is just computer-generated by some alien. No, no, no. We're real people that God has created, offered for salvation, offered redemption for our salvation. God made us. It's, we're really here. And in this reality, God has chosen to allow us to love Him. That means that He's also given us the opportunity to not love Him, to not obey. And if I'm going to have an intimate relationship with God like Abraham has, that God would analyze my life and say, I know him. What's my part? Well, God's part is promise, right? My part's obedience. I know him, that he will command his children after him to follow me. What an amazing analysis and simple reality of our life. Believer in the Lord Jesus Christ today, how close are you to the Lord? That, that sounds like a touchy-feely question, doesn't it? And the answer to that, really, or maybe to put it in other terms, is how obedient are you to God? Does God know that you will obey Him in everything in your life? Like He said of Abraham. Let's keep on going. Verse 20. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grievous, it's very heavy, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me. And if not, I will know. You see, God's justice is not arbitrary. It's not capricious. It's very purposeful. God judges in reality. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Now, that term, that Hebrew term there, stood before the Lord, has some wonderful overtones to it. it the picture of it is, is a subject standing before their king, waiting for an audience. He's standing and waiting before his king. And what a beautiful picture of what's going to happen here. Abraham now, because he lives by the promise of God, because in his life he's striving to obey the Lord, he's going to take advantage of that intimate relationship and engage with his God. And you say, boy, this seems as we walk through, you, you know the story. I'm going to help, we're going to read it in just a second, but he starts at 50 and then works down to 45 and 40, 30, 20, 10. Have you, have you ever dealt with God that way in your prayer life? As you talk to God? It almost, I mean, some of us would say, this sounds like an argument. It's not because he's standing and waiting. He understands his role. He's in utter submission to God here. 
And he's really trying to catch God's heartbeat. And in his prayer life, and I want you to see this before we read through it, he's claiming the character of God in making his request for ultimately his nephew Lot. Very interesting. What a beautiful picture for us. From the book of Genesis, the very beginning on how to pray. All right, so follow with me. So he's standing before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? He's asking a really telling question. God, will you sweep away the righteous, those that follow you, when you sweep away in judgment the wicked? Peradventure, suppose there be 50 righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for 50 righteous that are therein? Will you not sustain, instead of sweep away, would you be willing, God, to, to, to sustain the city for 50 righteous people in the city? Now notice verse 25. So he's already asked a question about God's character in verse 23. Will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? And now he's going to ask another question about God. Verse 25. That be far from thee to do after this manner. God, that's not who you are, Right? to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. That's, isn't that repulsive in your thoughts, O God? Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Here's Abraham in conversation with God and saying, God, I, I think I know you, Right? You, you will always do right, right? <laughs> and he's claiming the character of God for his prayer request, ultimately for his nephew Lot. This is Abraham thinking God's thoughts after God. Isn't that powerful? Lord, what should, I don't know your will. Well, maybe you should study his word. It's his written will. And start praying his thoughts after him. You might find some unique and blessed answers to prayer. So, Abraham still, but he's, he understands. He's just a subject before a great king. And so, with, with great humility, submission, he keeps his prayer going. And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, I'm in verse 26, then I will spare all the place for this, their sake. And Abraham answered and said, behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. <laughs> if I understand the narrative of the life of Abraham correctly, this, these words, he's talking to God. This, he's not trying to butter up God to get his way. These words, I am but dust and ashes, Abraham is trying to speak reality. He knows who he is. He's seen his failures. Scripture's recorded some for us. He knows that he has no standing outside of God's grace to him to plead. 
I am but dust and ashes. Oh, believer, one of the greatest steps of spiritual maturity in your life is to come to truly understand and know who you really are before God. I'm afraid sometimes as Baptist fundamentalists, we strive to do things really right, and I appreciate that so much. That's, I think, right. <laughs> but somehow, sometime past salvation, we start thinking that, you know, I, I, I've earned some credit with God. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm God. God, don't you see how good I'm serving you? And God is repulsed by us thinking that we're something when we're nothing. Remember what Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 15? This is, this is a while after he's saved. He's been in ministry for a good long time. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. I labored more abundantly than they all, yet, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. May we, like Abraham here, never forget who we are. I am grateful for God working in my heart and life and continuing to do so. This battle against sin and self in our own hearts and minds is a, is a, is a lifelong battle. We won't quite get rid of it all until we get to glory. So we must continue to battle. But there are some significant points in my life where I look back and today, though it was very hard in those moments where God literally beat me up, put me in places where I, I, I understood how wicked my heart was as a believer, as an adult. And for me to remember, wait a second, I am nothing without God. I can't do this life without Him. I need His promise. I want to obey, but it's so hard. My flesh is still there. I need His Spirit to help me. I know that we've gathered together early on Sunday morning. I hope that you've already stopped and taken time to talk with your God and asked for His help because you are but dust and ashes before God. He keeps on going. Verse 28. Peradventure, there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for lack of five? And he, the Lord, said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. And he spake unto him, Abraham spake unto God yet again, and said, Peradventure, there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And Abraham said unto him, Oh, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure there shall thirty be found there. He said, I'll not do it if I find thirty there. And Abraham said, verse 31, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure there shall be twenty found there. And he said, I'll not destroy it for twenty's sake. And he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm overstepping my bounds, Abraham says. And I'll speak yet just one more time. Peradventure 10 shall be found there. Many Bible scholars would surmise that as Abraham came down to this 10, as we consider Lot's family, 
He's, he's literally at this point just asking, well, I expect that Lot is continuing to follow the Lord in some way. There would be 10 there. He knew the count, all right? <laughs> Lot and his wife and his children, they're married or whatever. He's like, okay, I think this is a safe number. God, will you spare the whole city for Lot's sake? 10 people. I'm in the middle of verse 32, and he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. Now, let me stop for just a moment before we consider some thoughts here. We're not quite done. Um, Stop and consider. This is not necessarily directly a part of the message as we consider our intimate relationship with the Lord, but this tells us something about our God. We know that God ultimately destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah for its terrible wickedness. An example of the reality of God's hatred for sin, that our sin at some point brings such a stench to God, He can no longer stand it, though He suffers long with us. And yet, if there were only ten there in the city, God would have, God would have, God would have let the cities stand. I don't know what God is doing in the great work of nations in the world today. You stop and consider what God's people, His chosen people, Israel, are going through currently. And God still loves them, has a plan for them. I don't know what His plans are for the United States of America. Um, I can't find the U.S. of A. in any of the prophecies in Scripture. Well, what about those people from the West? Well, maybe a few, all right? But I do know this about my God because it's revealed to us right here. Could it be that America is still standing today, still enjoying some blessings from Him, from our great God, because of ten righteous here? Now, what does that call us to do? O believer in the United States of America in 2024. Be faithful to God. Your walk with God is far more important to the future of the United States of America than any president. The reality of Phoenix still having a gospel witness is up to you, folks. May we be found faithful. May Tri-City Baptist Church be a faithful witness for the Lord Jesus Christ all the way until He comes. No matter what the condition of Phoenix and the United States are at that moment, may God help us be faithful all the way until He calls us home. And by that, give opportunity for unbelievers that don't know God and could care less about Him in fact, walk in high-handed rebellion to have a still a moment of grace because you're being faithful, because you're being a witness. May God help us. So we find verse 33, And the Lord went His way as soon as He had left communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. What are some of the fruits of an intimate relationship with God? So we saw back in those wonderful words, God's analysis of Abraham. My relationship with him is built on his promises and on my obedience. It's a two-way street. But what are some of the results? And we see this through this 
wonderful conversation, powerful conversation that Abraham has with his great God in pleading for grace towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, one of the results of me walking closer to the Lord is I get to know God better. You see, God answers Abraham's prayer in an exceeding abundant way above all that Abraham could ask or think. I'm quoting Ephesians 3. What happened? God's judgment was fulfilled. And yet, God in his answer to Abraham's prayer, who said, God, won't the judge of the earth do right? God, won't you spare the city for 10 righteous souls? No. There came a point that he couldn't even find 10. But what did he do with the few righteous? What he always does with the few righteous. He redeems us. Lot was redeemed from the judgment of God in direct answer to Abraham's prayer. And Abraham could never figure that out. Only God can, of course. Isn't that amazing? I know that in our big theological worlds, there's all kinds of discussion and debate about eschatology, with the future events. Uh, as I've come back into the academic world, sometimes it's like, oh, brother. <laughs> what are we wasting our time about? Anyways, preach the word. Anyways, okay. But we, as Baptist fundamentalists, as dispensationalists, we affirm, we are looking forward to the rapture coming at any moment, right? It could be today. Even so, come Lord Jesus. We're not going to worry about stepping into the tribulation. That's time of God's wrath. And what has God always done from the book of Genesis? It's who He is. He always redeems His children. Period. End of statement. That's who God is. Aren't you glad for that? There's a reality in which if all I had about eschatology and about what God's going to do in the future as a follower of Him, and do I need to be scared of the future? And if all I had was this story here, I would have enough to say that go. No, God, God redeems His children. I don't know how, I don't know when, but He always does. Now, believer, cling to that promise. Live in joy today. You know, the economy's not going so well today. Can I meet my monthly bills? You know, the expenditures are bigger than the income. What am I going to do about that? Fear and fret, worry, get mad at God. Why aren't you taking care? No, stop it. God always redeems His children in exceeding abundant ways above all that we could ask or think. Now do His will. Be obedient. If you're a lazy slough not doing your work, well, shame on you. Get to back to work. Earn your money, all right? <laughs> do that part. Come to Wisconsin. We grow corn. Anyways, there you go. But God will always redeem. Now, isn't this, an, as, as a result of Abraham walking with God, he gets to know God. We don't have it recorded. This is one of the questions to ask Abraham in heaven one day. So, what was it like after you discovered that Lot had escaped? Now, there's lots of sin in Lot's life. We know the story. That's recorded for us. Abraham, did you rejoice to see your, answer, your prayer answered? I suspect he did. Did he take time to try to woo Lot back to 
into a right relationship with his great God? I suspect he probably did. Because we have the character of Abraham revealed in Scripture well enough for us to say that probably happened. We have a great God. Keep growing. A result of our intimate relationship with him and knowing God is that we continue to understand him better. But then here's the wonderful joy. As we get to know God better, it hones, it, it helps us see how to best minister for him. So as I grow in my knowledge of God, learn who he is, love him more, it helps me serve him better, more efficiently. Pastor Ending referred to my relationship with Dr. Marriott, our former president at Maranatha, now our chancellor. I was his assistant for uh, 12 years in Michigan. Uh, I was the assistant to Dr. David Cummins first, and then as Dr. Cummins went to Baptist World Mission, um, the church began searching and Dr. Marriott came. As an assistant pastor, kind of often when the, there's a change of leadership, you know, you offer you, your tenure, your resignation. I'm, you know, if you don't want me, I, that's fine. I understand that the assistant pastor is supposed to assist the pastor. And if the assistant pastor can't do that, well, then he should go find another pastor to assist, all right? Well, Dr. Marriott and his grace said, no, 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 stay, every, you guys all stay here. We'll work this out. And God redirected steps of people's lives. For some reason, I got to stay. And in those early years, I was, as an assistant, striving to, to get to know Dr. and Mrs. Marriott. Trying to be of help in any way. There were times I would step into his office, and then when I came back, I was like, oh man, I just blew it big time. I wasn't trying to blow it, but I did. I could tell. And he, no, he didn't beat me up. Don't worry. Okay. So, <laughs> but you just knew. I, I, I just disappointed him. Ah, Lord, help me. Help me to know him better. Help me to know what he needs from me. Well, there came a point, and I think he would still affirm this to this day, where it was more like hand in glove. I got to know his heartbeat and his passion, his purposes for the church family, how he was leading. Um, he drew me into all of his intimate conversations. Worked through with the deacons. I was always sitting at that point in the deacons' meetings and wanting, he's wanting my contribution at times. Even as an assistant pastor, I have to always be careful because I need to speak whatever pastor says. And he trusted me. And the delight and joy of knowing him well helped me do my service well. I knew what he would appreciate in the song service. I knew what he would desire of our ministry in the school. I knew what he wanted among the young people and where our goals were connected and we were driving in the same. That was a blessing. And it helped me be more efficient, better at being a good assistant pastor for Dr. Marriott. Well, I'm in this new role now. And we have at Maranatha, we have a CEO and a president. Is it a two-headed monster? It's not, no. Um, and I need to now get to know Dr. Davis, Dr. Matt Davis. No, he's not directly my boss. The board is just, you know, so you have this unique structure. But if I'm going to be a blessing, I, get, I need to get to know him well to help him. And by the way, he helped me too. It's kind of interesting. It's kind of awkward right now. There are times like, uh, let me find out. 
I just discovered the other day that I'm probably not doing the announcements in chapel as best as I should. I'm like, ah, I'm just having fun with the kids. You know, <laughs> but then he gives, Dr. Davis gives some, some thought and reasons that gone on in the history that I didn't know about directly. All right, so what am I going to do? Well, by God's grace, I'm going to get better at it. I'm going to better serve in my role at Maranatha. Now, believer, one day you're going to stand before the Lord and give an account of all that you've done for the Lord. What, what are the words we want to hear? Tell me. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Right. Good, that's like the character of God. Faithful, consistent in my work. Servant. I'm his servant. That's all I am. And if I'm his servant, that means I serve at his bidding. I do what he wants. I want that reward. Don't you, believer? Well, well, then you better get to know your Lord. You better get to know your master. There are many, many believers in this world today that we can look at Scripture and say, you're not serving him well. Now, is God gracious and patient? Of course he is. But that doesn't please the Lord that they're not serving him well. May we, like Abraham, learn our Lord well, think God's thoughts after him, so that God will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant to you too. I know Abraham, God said. He'll command his children after him to follow me. Oh, believer, what a sweet example we have today of Abraham. May we, in our intimate walk with God, grow in our ministry understanding. So now, with all of these thoughts in mind, look back with me at verse number 23. Abraham drew near, said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? What's the answer to that question? Will God destroy the righteous with the wicked? The answer is what? No. Of course not. Verse 25. At the end of the verse, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Will God always do what's right? What's the answer? Yes, Yes, he will. Yes, he will. And Abraham acted on those truths, pled with God all the way down to 10. And then God in his amazing answer to Abraham's prayer, Abraham's service for Lot, service as, as a mediator between God and Lot, God answered Abraham's prayer in an abundant fashion above that Abraham could even contemplate or think. I don't know about you, but I want God to do that through my life. I don't want my life to be, waste, life to be wasted. So what do I need to do? I need to know God. Because as I know God, then I'll faithfully serve Him. Let's pray.